Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How are the people? How are the people? How are the people? Hello and welcome to No Confidence. I'm your host, David Merlin. Nothing you'll hear me say is intended as legal advice. Anything that sounds like that to you, just consider it something somebody else might do on a planet far, far away where the law matters. It doesn't matter here. I prove it on a daily basis. Believe it. Today's episode of No Confidence is a recording of an interview I did on this Friday the 13th, 2015 on hotnewstalkradio.com with David Tulis out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, you really want to listen closely. We discuss public vehicular travel. It's been on his mind for a long time, and uh, we talk statute, the basis of the motor vehicle code, the origin of the motor vehicle code. When you listen to David Tulis, understand that he really packs a resume. His education is fantastic, and he's a great radio host, and it was my pleasure and privilege to appear on his show. I hope you enjoy the interview. This is David Tillis of NewGnowledge.com. We are the people who have the, the wonderful, wacky idea that the driver's license statute in Tennessee really is not as uh, coercive and compulsory and demanding as it's enforced. That very likely, as I my, my suggestion is, that the enforcement of the driver's license statute against strangers, against immigrants, against Hispanics, against poor people, against uh, those who don't want to have any interaction with the state, uh, is based not on the statute, but on a misreading of the statute that courts have allowed for decades, because we've had uh, regulated travel by car for decades, where the state has converted the travel, your right to travel, they've, they've by hook and crook, they've converted what's right into a privilege that you have to apply for, and then you are using their roads, and the activity is their activity done by their permission. And, of course, a, a license is a is permission to do something which is otherwise illegal and lawful or tortious, something that's a tort, right, a wrong that has to be, uh, that, that has, a, has a remedy. And uh, so what's happened, in effect, is that, is that, uh, the state has has converted uh, the use of the road into a crime, as it were, and then suddenly turned around and said, however, we'll let you use the road if you uh, pay us and submit yourself to us and grant us, uh, grant us access to yourself, your person, your vehicle. And uh, and uh, and so we uh, we own the road, we own that activity. Now, this this is what I think is practically in effect today, though legally, I suggest the the ground for this uh, this this act, this uh, uh, very profitable uh, control of the marketplace is not not warranted. And my concern is that we have people here in Chattanooga who are immigrants. They're here from uh, other countries, from Honduras, from from Mexico, and they are facing a kind of harassment because they're driving freely. They're driving more freely than than I am. I'm an American citizen. I have a driver's license, and I'm I think I'd like to suggest that I'm forever marked and 
with a debased status because of my engagement with various states to drive uh, under their driver's license uh, regimes. So it's a, it's a, it's not just an arcane legal question that I'm raising here. It's a, que- it's a question of fundamental liberty. Do you have a right to travel, and can you do it in your car, or or not? And the state generally would say, no, you, there is no right to travel by car. It's only a privilege. Every lawyer will tell you that. Every lawyer who, of course, answers that without really thinking about it or looking at the statute. So we want to explore this question kind of in general terms today, uh, not just because I've written about it several times at newgenomics.com, but because it is a, a question which is, uh, at least for you, my listener, of of at least theoretical interest. But I would like to suggest this maybe more than, than just theoretical. On the phone, I have uh, David Merland, who has uh, studied this question for, for many years and involved himself in what you could call patriotic activity. Uh, helping people uh, defend against uh, claims of government against their liberties, and uh, he has—he's uh, kind of a specialist in this question. He is in Washington State. David Merland is, and in, in a three-three-hour uh, difference in the time. But what we want to do is ask uh, ask ourselves: Are you really free in this area? And not that—not that I'm suggesting you, my listener, become a free person here, because you probably can't. You—you you probably have already a driver's license and are helpless uh, and compromised. But there are people who are new in town, uh, as I said, strangers. And what can what can we do with our statute, our, our clunky Tennessee statute, to understand that it really does not oppress them as the enforcement mechanism implies? Uh, David Merlin, welcome to Nuganomics.com. Thank you, Dave. Took us long enough to get on the show together. Well, I've been. Uh, <laughs> I looked at your uh, dossier, your resume, and uh, uh, your your really um, you eclipse so many people that have talk shows that. Uh, it's really a great opportunity for me to speak with you. Well, it's a great opportunity for us to speak with you, David. Uh, you are kind of a specialist in the, the arcane law of driver's license statutes and histories of statutes, how they came about. You're, you're working out of the state of Washington, so you have some kind of Washington-centric, Washington-specific information. But tell my listener in a nutshell what the general argument is that you make, generally speaking, whether he's in Georgia or Alabama or Tennessee. Uh, generally is a great place to start. Uh, I should tell everybody I'm not an attorney. None of this is legal advice. I've met plenty of attorneys that simply don't impress me, and uh, it's a matter of understanding there's a big difference between researching the law and practice of law. A lawyer practices law, but a researcher can have a grasp on things that you just you might not have ever even thought of. In a couple of examples... You have the, the blonde lineup on Fox News, but what you don't see on the surface is that Shannon Bream is a former Supreme Court clerk. Laura Ingram is a former Supreme Court clerk, and you don't get access to people like that. And so there, there are certain count, they aren't, they aren't practicing attorneys. And yet, they, are really up on the law. So the fact I'm not an attorney, don't let that scare you. I've read in excess of 4,000 decisions, and I didn't do them on recreation. You know, I didn't just sit at home saying, I'm going to read some court cases. It's been because I was involved in litigation. And uh, I'll admit that for many years I practiced law without a license for people that couldn't afford attorneys, but I never defended guilty people, and I never argued outside the box. Statutes is number one. It's the first thing the government will tell you is that we got to follow statutes. So I research statutes. 
and I have an appreciation for statutory or legislative history. And generally speaking, here are a couple of expressions, one from the Washington State Supreme Court and one from the U.S. Supreme Court. Washington State Supreme Court, Neely versus Bach, 1935. It will be observed that a highway within the contemplation of the act is every way or place of whatever nature open as a matter of right to the use of the public for the purposes of vehicular travel. There can be no question but that this definition is broad enough to include streets and incorporated cities because they are open as a matter of right to the use of the public for the purposes of vehicular travel. Where did that right go? Here's the U.S. Supreme Court, 1925, well, Buck versus Kuykendall. David, back up the right a second. to travel interstate by auto vehicle upon the public highways may be a privilege or immunity of citizens of the United States. A citizen may have, under the 14th Amendment, the right to travel and transport his property upon them by auto vehicle, but he has no right to make the highways his place of business by using them as a common carrier for hire. Such use is a privilege which may be granted or withheld by the state in its discretion without violating either the Due Process Clause or the Equal Protection Clause, end quote. And that is by far the most conspicuous statement I've ever heard regarding the right to travel. And it's right out of the Supreme Court in 1925. The question wasn't before the court as to whether or not it's a right, but the court went the distance of saying, excuse me, everybody, you might have a right under the 14th Amendment. We can't rule on it because the question's not before the court, but would you look at this? There's a right. You might have a right. That's a, that's a request by the court to bring the argument before the Supreme Court. And uh, you have an entire segment of the anti-tax movement, or whatever you want to call the movement, uh, that addresses the right to travel in all kinds of really cockamamie ways that uh, there's no remedy in it. They've been doing it for years, the Uniform Commercial Code and other arguments. And if you just went straight at this saying, why, when I take my child to the soccer game when I drive to work. Why am I paying a tax just to do what everybody does every day? And uh, so generally speaking, there is a right to use the highways, and not everything is a privilege. And I've briefed the, uh, the historical um, or the history of the motor vehicle code for Washington State. I'm not going to do it on 50 states. My expertise uh, primarily is uh, tax law interpretation, so uh, the right to travel is low on my radar, but I briefed it for Washington State anyway and pointed out that uh, when I saw this phrase and it caught my attention, it really piqued my curiosity in 2005, open as a matter of right to public vehicular travel. I said, doggone, if that doesn't sound artful, and I typed the phrase into Google, I got 464,000 uh, 464, hits open as a matter of right to public vehicular travel. It's in the law everywhere from coast to coast. Well, what's so my listener supposed to understand by that? my right to travel briefing, and uh, it's a 34-page memorandum, and uh, sent it to the uh, Homeland Security Committee in Congress and the Department of Justice as a criminal complaint in uh, March of 06, 
and it's been used many times to get uh, traffic tickets dismissed where they simply don't want to get into the topic of public vehicular travel. And I just clicked on Google, uh, open as a matter of right to public vehicular travel. I got 2.89 million hits. It's in the law everywhere. And you find a thread of reasoning beginning with your first motor vehicle code in your state. Find the first one and look at the definitions of public highway, the definition of motor vehicle, the definition of street, and you're going to find reference to regulating delivery vehicles, those used in commerce. They make their living upon the highway. They were delivering goods, commodities, or moving persons as carriers. And you'll find these definitions. See, the first commercial vehicles were not engine vehicles. They were motor vehicles. What does that mean? They had electric, they had electric motors. And to drive an electric motor, to provide enough juice for an electric motor that's going to haul goods up the street, your batteries had to be enormous. And the trucks weighed so much that they destroyed the streets. And the government said, we need streets. And so let's put together a regimen for controlling the weight of vehicles, the the construction of the streets, so we know which streets will hold the big vehicles and restrict the big vehicles from going on these side streets. And they came out with a whole regulatory scheme to address delivery vehicles that were driven by motors, not engines. And when you look at your first motor vehicle code, you're going to find readily identifiable definitions that restrict the applicability of the regulation scheme to those used in commerce, those vehicles in commerce. Then you work forward and you will not find a reference by the legislature to any intent to broaden the scope of the motor vehicle code. That's first. See how that has nothing to do with statute, it has to do with omission. You won't find an expression on the part of the legislature to broaden the scope of the motor vehicle code beyond those using commerce. That's the first clue. Then you look at all of your statutes and you'll see plenty of references probably right up to 1961 that say open as a matter of right to public vehicular travel. In 1961 here in Washington, they put the whole motor vehicle code revision in session laws. That means they have one big bill instead of uh, amendment after amendment over the years, little amendment here, a little amendment there. They made one big amendment. They amended the entire motor vehicle code into a brand new act and put it in session laws and then brought it into the revised code of Washington, moving away from the definitions that were originally in place and instead defined the term public highway as any way, lane, street, road, boulevard, or other surface open as a matter of right to public vehicular travel, and then they struck that from the revised code. They didn't repeal it. They simply failed to publish it. It was, in an, the editing, revised code. It was an editing mistake. It's right there in Sessions Laws of 1961. Are you saying it's so an editing mistake? Changed, go ahead. Are you saying it was an just an edit and not a change of meaning? It wasn't a change of meaning, uh, as evidenced by the fact there's no expression on the part of the legislature of an intent 
to broaden the scope of the motor vehicle code. And is that is that lack of intent evident in your reading of the the legislative history? Is that how you can say that, or how do you know it wasn't the intent that we, yeah. we redefine this and suddenly we've yeah. broadened the scope without it, 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 letting it never was know. the intent? And at no time have they said, you know, we're going to broaden the scope of this uh, motor vehicle act to include others, which they basically have to do whenever they're going to write new legislation that applies to a new group of subjects. They're going to state why, and they're going to state, here's what we have to do. It's like the switch of uh, going from uh, taxing you through the motor vehicle code to taxing you by the mile. They're making less in fuel taxes now because of electric cars, and so they're moving to a device that will report your mileage and your location every time you go somewhere, and so you'll have a bill at the end of the year. And in Oregon, they're about to implement this. And uh, it's a tragedy because the police were never supposed to be a part of our daily lives. And with the Motor Vehicle Code, they put police in our lives regulating us when, in fact, they're paid to be ignorant of the law. Well, David Merlin, let me just, let's just back up here for a second. David Merlin, uh, who's a, a kind of a, 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 legal, a legal beagle in Washington State who has a great interest in uh, constitutional liberties. This is David Toulis. Our show is Nuganomics.com. We're, we're hearing him tell us that, that uh, driver's license codes are, uh, are effectively around the country misapplied. They're, they're presented to, to judges and to, to the public as uh, compelling the use of uh, the obtaining of uh, of uh, permission. Well, let me ask you this, David Merlin. If if uh, Tennessee has a, a ruling that says that driver's licenses are in equity, and it's in the, a case I think from the 1930s, uh, Sullins versus Butler, that that uh, I just mentioned offhandedly, but it says that it's in equity. In other words, to have a driver's license, you are in commerce. You go to a party who has a good you want to have. You pay to have that good. You enter into an agreement with the state. You become a party to a, effectively a contract. In, in equity, and uh, if that's the case, then there is no there is no mandatory compulsory way that anybody could be given a driver's license, right? It has to be by application, which means it's inequity. And does that imply then that the underlying statute is somehow all voluntary, or is it really compulsory? Uh, for me and my purposes, there's no such thing as implied. Um, there's no such thing. I go to the language of statute first because the Supreme Court in literally hundreds of cases has said statute is first. And so we look at the language of the statute, and if the statutory language is clear, our inquiry is at its end. And so the, so the, the plan... Go ahead. I can find clear, if I can find clear language, my inquiry is at an end, and I pound on what the law has given me. And if you're a defendant, you stand on the law. You say the law is perfectly fine. Uh, you cannot accuse me. You cannot arrest me and charge me because the law is very clear. And uh, I, I'm saying no. Uh, I'm looking at the law and saying, excuse me, but do you have a code that applies to me? You're applying the motor vehicle code to me when I was engaged in a right. How does a privilege code apply to the right? of public vehicular travel. I don't see any mention in the Motor Vehicle Code of automobiles or of right to travel. I see a privilege for operating a motor vehicle, but in our second degree uh, uh, car theft statute here in Washington State, which was revisited as late as 2003 to stiffen the penalties for automobile theft, 
it says right in there, if anybody takes without permission an automobile or a motor vehicle, three times in one statute, automobile or motor vehicle, they're two different things. Every motor vehicle is an automobile, but not every automobile is a motor vehicle. And right, motor so- vehicles are used in the exercise of a privilege. And what I'm dying for a court to say is, well, you got motor vehicle plates on your car. Thank you, Your Honor. I'll take those off, and this mistake will never happen again. Thank <laughs> right. you very All much. All right, so let, my listeners, I'll pay the ticket. David Merlin, my listeners trying to get—he's trying to follow what you're saying. Let, let me just see if I can restate it. You're saying that if you're exercising a right, you're carrying your personal property, your personal effects, you're using the roads for personal use. Not for gain, not for commerce. You're not hauling anybody for hire. You're not renting your car out for services. You're not carrying goods or products from one place to another in business. If you're not doing that, but just exercising a right, you're saying that uh, my listener could stand on that right and say, "Well, I, I really, uh, I really don't want to be. Uh, I, I don't. I'm not involving myself in a privilege. Uh, leave me be." Um, you'll never get away with being that nice. Here's what I would do, and this is not legal advice, but I would go further, and I would say, okay, let's look at traffic court, Your Honor. You're applying a privilege code to me when you know I was exercising a right because the prosecutor has failed to put on the record any refutation of my briefing of the right to travel. It exists. It's in the law. I've argued the law just like I'm supposed to rely on just the law. And it says, open as a matter of right to public vehicular travel. You either explain to me what the legislature had in its mind, how, how insane they had to be to put this in the law, or you dismiss this ticket. Because for as long as the record is barren of evidence that that privilege code applies to the right of public vehicular travel, I have to believe you're using the mail to get my money in a fraudulent scheme. That's a federal... David Tullis, I have... A welcome for strangers, aliens, newcomers to Chattanooga, and it's in the, it's in a lot of an argument, a novel legal argument. It's novel because lawyers haven't thought about this. Lawyers are supposed to look at statutes, and they don't. And my argument is that uh, Tennessee Code fifty five fifty three zero one is permissive, not compulsory. <laughs> the way it's written, and I'm I have a master's degree in English, and so I I, I take words to be significant. And uh, whether it's poetry or uh, Catherine Mansfield's short story or a Faulkner novel, I, I read all those with great uh, with great relish and try to make use of the words and try to see how there's intentionality in every word. Even a badly written statute has to be understood as having the intention of the General Assembly. And our driver's license code under the application, examination, and issuance part of the statute in Title 55 seems very gracious, seems very open to strangers, uh, to people who don't speak English too good, uh, who are here uh, looking for the American dream in the Chattanooga area, which is a great place for them to come. We're glad that they're here. We want more of them. We want there to be newcomers here who who like uh, the local economy here in Chattanooga. Uh, the name is David Tullis. Our show is Nuganomics.com. And, uh, and we're talking about, you might say, legal aches and pains, but if you have aches and pains in your neck or your back or your your leg it, from an accident, perhaps, you need to go to Nancy Reinhardt. She's a chiropractor at North River Chiropractic and holds to C.S. Lewis's wonderful little saying that a man is not a body with a soul, but a soul with a body. 
And she'll, yes, the, the usual things she's going to take care of and, and uh, exercise upon you. She'll stand on your back, I guess, if you want one or two. Uh, but she has something special, and it's a free session in her magnetic resonance therapy device. It's called the Magnosphere, and she would like you to have a free session on her, okay, on her. That's Nancy Reinhardt, and that improves your health by precisely tuned low-frequency magnetic fields. It's a, a, invented by a former NASA scientist, and Nancy is at 875-8222. That's 875-8222, and this is David Toulis. Uh, there's another remedy I want to just throw at you, and that's uh, the clean air in your house. You, If you have mold and mildew, there may be a problem in your ductwork, and... One of my, my first advertisers here at Nuganomics.com is uh, old friends at Ducks, the indoor air professionals, formerly known as Duct Busters, cleaning the mold and mildew out of your uh, not long neglected duct work. That, that mysterious domain between the vent and your HVAC system. Uh, that's Ducts 876 And the special, there's a special for you, the Nuganomics.com listener, is this. She will clean out, or you know, they, uh, the crew at Ducks, will clean out the, uh, the fire trap, the fire hazard, that is your pipe leading from your dryer. Your washing machine and dryer set is uh, a fire trap, fire hazard, and it will be cleaned out at no charge, or nearly about uh, 90, 90 bucks. Uh, also, Delia's Authentic Mexican Food in uh, Saudi Daisy is a great place to, to eat out. I'd like you to patronize uh, Maria and uh, the waitress Naya and the cooking staff back in the back at Delia's Authentic Mexican Food. She has a, or they, I should say, have a rich selection. Loaded nachos and homemade tamales, crazy chicken, all with the freshest ingredients uh, cooked to perfection. Delia's has a special today, the Tazón de Nachos, beef or chicken, number 10 on her nicely illustrated menu. If you're new to the country, if you're a German, uh, you, you'll see the pictures there and you'll know what you're ordering. Do experiment here uh, in the United States. Uh, it's only $5.99. My name is David Toulis, and our show is Nuganomics.com. We're trying to we're trying to get to the bottom of a, a naughty question, which I don't think we can resolve, but we want to uh, talk with uh, what I would say is an expert on the question of uh, of laws and liberties and uh, in an arcane field. But whether or not you have a right to travel by car is is, is a question that bothers me. I, I, I think a lot about you, my listener, on this point. And I've written a good deal about it. My website is for the uh, thinking man. It's not a popular website. I want you to know that if you go there, it's not highly trafficked and not highly, uh, highly favored. And here's why. Only the people who matter go there and read my analysis. For example, my, uh, my essay, New Defense for Aliens and Liberty Lovers, No Requirement to Obtain Driver License. Now, I say it in the headline a bit more aggressively than perhaps I should, having this theory just in pencil. Uh, but uh, David Merland is on the phone with us from Washington. He is a, uh, a student of the law and uh, a help to people who are in difficult situations vis-a-vis the good people, namely the state. His state is Washington, but they uh, talk with David about their problems in other states. Uh, David, you were in the middle of saying something about uh, about uh, statute and uh, the law and my listener. What, what, what are you – start over and tell us what you're in the middle of saying a moment ago. Somebody simply stand on this that uh, the law that the motor vehicle code has never been written to apply to travelers, and the government has a vested interest, albeit corrupt, 
in getting that money and maintaining that revenue stream. And so you can't simply stand on the law, I believe. Here's how I would treat a traffic ticket. Uh, I would appear in traffic court after having uh, complained to the federal government that the traffic court is a racketeering scheme. I would have named the judge that's going to handle my case as a racketeer, a defendant in that criminal complaint. And I would serve my briefing of the Motor Vehicle Code with my criminal complaint about these individual actors on the court with a motion to dismiss and a demand that the officer be instructed to appear at my contested hearing so that I can grill him on the topic of public vehicular travel, knowing they can't deny a word of this. And typically, when somebody follows this approach with my work, the officer is told not to appear so they can dismiss the ticket. But if I were in front of the judge and I had made my argument, I'd close with the, rec the prosecutor has had X number of days to answer my motion to dismiss with proof that the Motor Vehicle Code does apply to automobiles, to public vehicular travelers, under my claim that it only applies to motor vehicles and a privilege. And the record is barren of evidence to the contrary of my briefing. And so I demand you dismiss this ticket. This is a racketeering scheme. And I don't want to talk about anything hereafter concerning this traffic ticket unless it's about when it's a convenient time to arrest you. Because I have every right to arrest a felon. You're committing felonies against me. This is a racketeering scheme. You have no evidence whatsoever that this applies to me. You're using the mail to get my money illegally. That's mail fraud, 30, uh, 20 or 30 years under the federal mail fraud statute, 10 years for conspiracy against my rights under 18 U.S.C. 13, uh, 241. And so is that the oppression you have statute? no evidence. You have no evidence to commit me uh, to convince me that you're not felons. And so I want to discuss citizen's arrest. So you're effectively That's saying... That's where it leads. You're saying... Where it leads with me. You're Go saying, ahead. David Merlin, that, that uh, you have a, a very uh, aggressive approach rather than simply standing on the statute. My, that's, my, my suggestion is much more pacific, much more peaceful. And I would say, well, I, I, would, I would argue statutory construction in Tennessee, for example, in the case of driving without a license. Now, now my, my situation is I'm a licensee of the state through the Department of Safety and Homeland Security. It's renewed. It is, uh, it is a, a kind of a complex relationship, I, I guess, but I have, I have uh, sought that, and I'm, I'm, even if my license is, is expired, court cases in my state suggest that I'm always a licensee and subject to the, uh, to the statute, which applies to licensees only. So, uh, w w that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, the, uh, the way you phrased it during the break to me was uh, once a licensee, always a licensee. The reason I'm as aggressive as I am is because for years on what had to constitute more than a couple thousand conference calls speaking with victims across the United States, all I saw was the law set aside. The law is not good enough for our public servants. And so I've found it necessary to take a further step to tell them, here are the ramifications if you commit a felony against me or somebody else and I learn of it. All the case law says you got the right to arrest a felon. And by the way, all of this is free on 
my website, wevgov.com, W-E-V-G-O-V, wevgov.com. There's a motor vehicle code page. There's a citizen's arrest page where you'll find upwards of, I don't know, 30 or 40 cases across the United States on the federal level about the right to arrest a felon. And uh, you consult your own state law to figure out your own rights. But uh, coast to coast, I can arrest a felon. And it's so, if you know a few things about the law, you'll see felonies all around you. Uh, I didn't get any respect until I started filing criminal complaints. I didn't understand government until I read the criminal code. I said, this is their home address. This is where they live. And so... I got a course on how to write and file citizens' criminal complaints you'll see on the website, a course about public vehicular travel on the website, a page about public vehicular travel, and on that page, there's a link that says this criminal complaint. That's the criminal complaint. It's near the top of the page, a blue link that says this criminal complaint. Click on that, and you'll have the entire March 9th of 2006 filing that me and another fellow did, uh, another fellow and I did, with the Department of Justice and the Homeland Security Committee uh, reporting that Washington state authorities are committing all these federal crimes by misenforcing the motor vehicle code against public vehicular travelers. So okay, let's just back up for a second. You have it in brief. At the top of the left-hand menu column, you see YouTube and YouTube 2. If you click on YouTube 2, there will be several seminars. One of them is about public vehicular travel, where I narrate my way through that criminal complaint. So you see I've written it for judges. I've got audio instruction for the beginner. And you can see that in the law, everywhere, you have a right to travel. But standing on the law isn't good enough because it doesn't mean anything well, to our public servants, David. which forced me to explore my own remedy since we have no courts. I still have dominion over the body of a felon, the person of a felon. I right, can let's back up. Them. I want to back up here. We're talking so about David Merlin, who is... So uh, I want to bring all that, all that to bear when, uh, when defending my rights. Sorry. We're talking with David Merlin, who is out of Washington, who proposes aggressively defending uh, constitutional rights to travel by, by automobile by threatening criminal sanctions or, or criminal violations by judges who uh, use state statutes, which he says are misconstrued, uh, who, which, which are used to entrap and ensnare people operating constitutionally at liberty by traveling on the public roads by their own means not involved in commerce. So let's just back up for a second, David Merlin. Mer, David Merlin, uh, your argument is that, uh, that my listener is free to use the public road in a self-propelled carriage or automobile and that he doesn't have to have a driver's license if he wants to exercise his rights to travel. Can you just kind of give a nutshell summary of, of your position in, in, in that context, please? Sure, and that is in a perfect world. The public servants have the guns. And so they have us trapped in this. And getting back to your comment, once a licensee, always a licensee, wasn't that easy? That's the phrase that allows them to shove the law aside and look strictly at the fact that you once were licensed or are currently licensed. That excuses them from having to look at the law at all. It's a ruse. <laughs> and... And so you have to ignore that. It's about statute. It's not about the fact you once received a license. It'll never be right. about that. It's you're, you're, always about 
the law. Now, your argument under this Tennessee statute is a firm one, but you have simply fallen into a poorly written statute that uh, on appeal they might give you a void for vagueness ruling, but uh, you ought to couple this with full familiarity uh, as to which statute they cite you under when they find you driving without a license. Is it 55-50-301, or is it another statute that prohibits driving without a license? Well, there's another, there's uh, another statute in Tennessee. they can run to and, and just ignore this one that yeah. you've pointed out. Well, th- there is another statute, which is the requirement to exhibit. If you have a license, you're required to have it on you at all times and to exhibit it on demand. It's called show on demand. Uh, so Okay, that that's kind of a shelter for them to run from this poorly crafted statute that you seem to... Uh, focus on well there are two there are two that seem to create this liability upon my listener or my listener's son let's say who's uh you know 17 years of old 17 years of age and just about to get into his car for the first time and thinking he can't do it without a driver's license so your your argument is uh david merlin that that the state is uh, is misrepresenting the law and pretending that everybody's in commerce however not everybody is in commerce make a distinction between uh an operator of a vehicle of a of a truck or a car in commerce versus someone who's operating that car or truck privately. What's what's the distinction that makes the two categories? And then why does it matter? Sure, and it's a distinction they refuse to acknowledge because they simply say every use of the streets is a privilege. They want to even license bicycles. But anyway, uh, back to the major point, which is anything with four wheels that's drawn upon the street by other than muscular power is the exercise of a privilege. That's their broad statement. But when you look at the law, the origins of the motor vehicle code, you find that it was not that way when it started. And beyond that, you probably, in your state, will not find a reference by the legislature to any intent to broaden the scope to include other vehicles. So the legislature, oh, effectively, yes. you're saying, you're suggesting that the legislature, you're, uh, David Merlin, you're suggesting that the legislature in, in Tennessee and maybe other states is allowing this machinery of state to go on. In other words, the government, the legislature, which is the face of government for the people and is sort of their representative, it is allowing the state to operate this scheme sort of uh, without their permission, without their explicit permission, uh, taxing everybody, demanding, harassing people who are free, like Mexicans and newcomers who don't have licenses and do not have drivers. Yeah, they're operating freely, you're saying, in private capacity, not subject to the statute, and the state is pretending in an artifice that everybody's involved in commerce, and we're we're going to arrest and charge uh, Hispanic drivers and others who who use the roads without a license, and that is essentially a fraud. And you're saying it's a criminal fraud, and that defendants in this in this uh, uh, in, in this uh, area of conflict between the market and the state, they need to have more a more aggressive approach. Uh, knowledge first, aggression later. And uh, so you acquaint yourself with the law, and look at what I've done with Washington State's law. That's the model. It, it starts in 1915 with a very specific set of definitions, and the Supreme Court, as I read, says very quite clearly, what is the quote again? may have under the 14th Amendment the right to travel and transport his property upon the highways by auto vehicle, but he has no right to make them his place of business by using them as a common carrier for hire. 
such use is a privilege, which may be granted or withheld by the state in its discretion without violating either the due process clause or equal protection clause. And you look at this and you say, the Supreme Court, okay, they're the big boys. You have to honor the Supreme Court. Look at what the Supreme Court is able to do. We got an upcoming uh, question on marriage. Look at how important the Supreme Court is. And here they are saying, you might have a right, but you don't have this privilege. The state can do that. The state can revoke it without violating your rights, meaning if they revoke the right to travel, they are violating your rights. But the question was not before the Supreme Court in that case. So... I know I have this right, and I know it's represented in the law as evidenced by the fact the Motor Vehicle Code makes no reference to automobiles. It only refers to motor vehicles, like the original Motor Vehicle Code. It doesn't say that it addresses public vehicular travel, which is a right. It only applies to a privilege of operating a motor vehicle. And so there's a, there's the line drawn between these two. And if I am using the road as my place of business, I'm conducting business on property held in trust by the state for the citizenry. I don't have that right. That's a privilege. But if it's held in trust by the state, I have a right to use it. And uh, the... The difference between the two, it's one thing to read the law. It's another thing to have 25 years to think about it. This is David Tillerson uh, talking with... That's what I have in in my advantage. Uh, In in 1988, I started studying tax statutes. And in 1994, I made a few appearances as an expert witness. I have a real drive to analyze statute first, and I have found so many protections in statute, it's all I argue. I'm totally within the box. And if you read several times the criminal complaint on wevgov.com, if you get the materials there, you're going to see everything is based on law, and it leaves the government speechless. There's a difference between using the streets for business or using... Uh, the streets as a matter of right and that's just a, to transport yourself or your property. And that's a perfectly it's good like reason. You can't set up a kiosk in the shopping mall. You have to get their permission to come inside and sell stuff. But if you come inside to buy stuff, you're accessing public facilities and you have a right to go there. It makes perfect sense, David Merlin, uh, the distinction between commerce and the private sector. It's reasonable for the state to regulate commerce on the street. For, think about it. The state... Uh, the state builds these streets on behalf of the people, as if uh, trust, in trust for the people. And here now we have a whole group of people who are merchants and shippers, and they're pounding the road uh, with their trucks and their their heavy traffic. They're making a living on the road. The road supports their livings, and that's not that's not quite fair. So we need to be able to tax and control and regulate these people because they are injuring the public interest. They're of course serving the public interest by being involved in commerce, but on the other hand, they're imposing damage and costs and risk to the public by by the, the streets and therefore those people have to be regulated to some extent they're taxed and regulated and there has to, there's a public safety interest in controlling large trucks and vans uh trailer trailer tractors and straight body trucks and yeah. pickup trucks and vans that are carrying equipment and insecticide and whatnot uh ladders piled you know, vans piled high with ladders and, and so on uh and these are some of those people maybe maybe not all of them but they are making a living off the off the public highway and so it's right that they be regulated to an extent and you you agree with that right that that's reasonable that's not wrong 
Uh, um, most definitely, okay. and it's very, um, I feel, obviously expressed in Washington State Attorney General reports that you'll see quoted or excerpted in uh, my criminal complaint and memorandum on WeVGov.com. Uh, under its power to regulate private use of our highways, our legislature has required that motor vehicle operators be licensed. Undoubtedly, the primary purpose of this requirement is to ensure, insofar as possible, that all motor vehicle operators will be competent and qualified, thereby reducing the potential of hazard or risk or harm to which other users of the highway and, might and the other otherwise users. be subject. <laughs> okay. And, and you're suggesting, David. Second paragraph. We cannot overlook the merit in and forcefulness of the argument that a broad delegation of authority is essential to the enforcement of the licensing requirement. However, a right as precious as the freedom of an individual who has not violated any law to travel wherever he pleases without interruption should not be denied by implication where an equally consistent construction not impairing such right is possible. So what you're saying right from the state attorney general. <laughs> so there's a distinction being made that the that the police power of the state has to be applied for the public interest for 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 public safety upon merchants and uh, operators in commerce who are using the roads for their profit and bringing damage and cost to the to the road roads themselves, bringing potholes. And so they in commerce they are rightly regulated. You're not contesting that, but you are saying it's wrong for the state to uh, pretend that everybody else is also doing the same thing, and that these other people are just commoners like you and me, like my listener, and we are simply, uh, we're simply using the road to get, get to church or to go to the store or, or to get to work. That's not commerce. Is that right? That's right. The head side of the coin is the second part you cited, and the tail is there, the side of the coin that says they can regulate others. First is freedom, heads. Tales, you can regulate other people. The most important one is my right to travel. The second important one is regulation of other users so that I'm safe when I travel. David Merlin, I want to thank you for joining my list for me here today at Nuganomics.com. It's been my pleasure, of course. You call again, all right? Will do. David Merlin is a, uh, a litigator who defends people in Washington and other states against uh, impositions by the state on their right to travel, which he says belongs to them if they are not in commerce. And that, that's a distinction that the states generally don't make that uh, under, under the pretense that everybody's involved in commerce. And I know when I go from, when I do sales calls, when I'm uh, going to church, when I'm going to get groceries for my wife, Jeanette, by the list, I'm not involved in commerce. That's private personal activity. And yet, here I am, a licensee. I've given up my right to travel, it seems, under the ruling from the Tennessee Court of Appeals that once a licensee, always a licensee. My status has been reduced. Can I get it back? I, I don't think I can. But what about you? What about you, my listener? Can you get your status back? Maybe, maybe not. What about your children? Well, my theory here is local economy and the free market. And if you are uh, drawing the, the rich liquid from the tent of the state insofar as this public education system goes, well, your children are not going to learn any of these things, and you will not be encouraged at all to think about them as valid points where liberty should be exercised. Our show is NewGonomics.com. We are about the distinction between the marketplace and the state, and we all want the state to be, go, to be pushed back slowly, slowly pushed back by what? By you, my listener, in the free market with your wife, your family. Maybe you should go to church. Maybe there's truth there that you are neglecting. And so I suggest you 
go to the Lord's house on, on this Sunday and, and worship Him and thank Him for your freedoms. These freedoms are there. They are alive. They're real. But we let them go. We neglect them. And they pass away. And the next generation, it doesn't have those freedoms either. Well, my argument is here at Nuganomics.com. Go to Nuganomics.com, the website where I, your host, David Toulis, exercise the, the great liberty of editor and writer, the website that's not very popular. Not a lot of people go there because, in fact, not a lot of people really matter. And uh, But I'm giving you all the best right here at Nuganomics.com. That's our show, and our station is Hot News Talk Radio. Hot News Talk Radio, 1240, 910, and 1190. I thank you for giving me a few minutes of your time. And there you have it. I urge you to tune in in the future to hotnewstalkradio.com and listen to the shows offered by David Tulis. He's a wonderful mind, a great host, and I want to thank him for having me on his show. My name is David Merlin. I hope you enjoyed the interview, and I'll see you in the next episode of No Confidence. I say good show. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.